women who had advanced biological age, so biological age or the age of their cells was older than their chronological age, had poorer outcomes on IVF and egg freezing, even if they were younger. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and check movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to episode 161 of the Biohacker Babes podcast. My name is Renee and I'm tuning in with my sister, Lauren. Hi, everyone. Good to see you. Yeah, I'm excited for some test results. We're going to do a a live analysis, which is really scary, invulnerable, and exciting. Yes. Yeah, this was a unique episode, but super fun the way we did it. So we have a guest coming on for you. We have Dr. Catherine Zagoni. Oh, I just, I love her so much. I, I can't wait to hang out with her in person in a month at the biohacking conference, which is really exciting. But not only did she speak about one of the most fascinating topics to, for me, which is fertility and infertility, but like Lauren said, we did a live review of our test results. So Dr. Zagoni created a test called Clockwise. It's looking at fertility Um, I won't give away too much of the test, but the different aspects she looks at, it really is giving a lot of information and empowerment to women and men, not leaving the men out to make healthier changes. And it's not just to maybe get pregnant and conceive, but to become a healthier, longer living human on this planet. Right. So Mm -hmm. we do go through our test results. Like Lauren said, it was a little scary, but as biohackers, I think it's always helpful to have more information. The more data we have, the more we can put together a personalized plan and really make the right changes that are going to make the biggest impact for us personally. Mm-hmm. So super, super fun episode. Yeah. And this is a, definitely a test that you can do too at home. It's simple and easy. And we're just so grateful for the access And so it's going to look at biological versus chronological age, which if you've been listening to our podcast, you've been learning about also the doomed in pace, which is the rate at which you're aging. So if you're a biohacker and doing all these things, hopefully you're slowing down that rate. And then what has your, what kind of exposure you've had to toxins and those all kind of go into the buckets of what's affecting it. So if you're interested in that test, you can scroll down on the show notes and click on the link. There is a discount down there. and. Yeah. Really, really excited. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now that you gave away the age thing, I will say it, it was interesting to see not only your biological age, but yeah, how fast you're aging. So my biological age was not so great, but my aging pace was good. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I knew my twenties were (laughs) a little (laughs) too much maybe. Yeah. But how motivating to know that what you're doing now is is helping. Cause I think there's other test results where it's just a snapshot and you're like, shoot, like, right. yeah, it can be a little scary or defeating to, to read that. But I think there's a lot of facets to the test. So can be really motivating and empowering if still it's scary. Yeah. But it's interesting also to compare this to other aging tests on the market. Cause right. We've talked about this on the show before and you and I always come up younger 
but I'm now thinking, <laughs> yeah, aren't you 16? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some tests said I was 13, 18, 21, but most of those are blood tests. And I'm thinking they're comparing it to who most of the sick population. So, yeah. you know, my fasting glucose and A1C are low for my age compared to most of the U S population. So it's mm-hmm. saying I'm younger, but really that's not the best metric. So her yeah, test is awesome. Insight. Yeah. Okay. Enough rambling. Let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Zagoni. So Dr. Catherine Zagoni, she is the chief medical officer and co-founder of Clockwise. She has been supporting women and couples easily conceive their healthiest babies for almost a decade. Simultaneously, she runs Gentera Center for Precision Medicine in Beverly Hills, California, where she bridges cutting edge science with tried and true methods for exceptional results. She's excited to bring effective science, a warm heart, and an industry-changing approach to the world through Clockwise. She is doing awesome work with Clockwise and her personal practice. I will say, if you are interested in working with her too, she does virtual consultations. So if you're anywhere in the world, you can connect with her. Yes. And for the men, if you're still listening after this intro, thank you and keep listening because we do talk about how this is not just about what the female is doing. This is not just women's health. It really is like a 50-50 joint venture. So if you are in a couple that is struggling with this or know someone, please listen, please share. I think it's just really, really powerful information. All right, let's jump in. All right. Welcome Dr. Zagoni to the Biohacker Babes. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This has been planned for a while now, right? And I, like I said before we hit record, like it's well worth the wait. So we have some awesome test results we're going to go through today. But before we get into that rabbit hole, we really want to kind of pick your brain on the topic of fertility and infertility, both ends of the spectrum. Um, like I said, I'm really passionate about this topic. I actually, I wrote my thesis on nutrition for fertility. Oh, amazing. Um, it was kind of a you know, a personal thing because I was diagnosed with unexplained infertility. And, um, my fertility doctor said nutrition has nothing to do with fertility. She said, it's just bad luck. It's not genetics. Acupuncture won't work. And so I think in spite of hearing that I was like, fine, I'm going to write my thesis on this. So I've gone down the rabbit hole and looked at a lot of research and it's so fascinating to me. I think it's really empowering that we can do so much to improve our chances of conceiving and you are doing amazing work in this world. So we're so happy to have you on and to kick it off. Why don't we start with how did you become so passionate about fertility? Yeah. So I, I've always leaned on the more natural side. Um, and there were two pieces that really got me into, into focusing on fertility. One was um, when I was in college, I actually lived with some family members who were going through an infertility struggle at the time. Multiple rounds of IVF, egg donation. I think it was like seven years of struggle for them. And I was there kind of in the middle when I was living with them. And so, and they were both in the conventional medical world. And also trying some other, some meditation and some nutrition and some things. So I'm looking at it from this perspective of, okay, so if, if fertility is a byproduct of health, then, you know, what, what else, like, what else can we do? Like th- there's so much suffering and so much struggle in this process. Like there's gotta be something else that, that we're missing. So when I started naturopathic medical school, I kind of went in with that lens of like, how do we cultivate fertility? How do we cultivate health? Because the basic principles of naturopathic medicine are that the body is designed to be healthy. Fertility is a byproduct of health. And so what are the blocks? 
or the obstacles to cure, the obstacles to health, vitality, and fertility that we need to remove, whether it's a nutritional thing, a toxin thing, uh, an immune system challenge, uh, a emotional stressor, sometimes genetics, um, structural. So I kind of went in with that lens. And then the other piece was, I actually thought I wanted to be a midwife, like grew up, my mom uh, is a lactation consultant uh, and was a Laleche League leader. So there were a lot of boobs all over our house, like boob, like breast breastfeeding calendars and, uh, you know, like models and boob mugs and like all the things. <laughs> and, um, and so I like kind of grew up Amazing. in, yeah, yeah. So I grew up like in that world of, of natural childbirth and, and breastfeeding and, and all of that. And so thought I wanted to be a midwife and started attending births while I was in naturopathic medical school and then realized I don't like staying up all night. Um, and I don't like being on call. Uh, so I was like, yeah, how can I, rough. yeah. <laughs> Somebody's like, got to do it though. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and God bless the women and the men who, who do that. So I was like, how can I make a big impact in the way babies are brought into the world? And for me, it really was, okay, coming back to fertility of like, if we can get mom and dad, especially before they start trying to conceive, we know that not only can we support an easier and healthier conception, but we also know that everything that mom and dad are eating, drinking, breathing, touching, thinking, feeling four months, sometimes more before conception affects that child's health for the rest of their life. So I felt like mm, that was the way I could no make pressure. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about balance and how to like not take on the full weight of the world when you're thinking about these things, but, but yeah. information is power and, and, you know, we, we can, not like we can control everything because we can't, but sometimes choices that we make now can make a big difference in the future. And, and I think knowing you have that choice and having the information of how to choose wisely, I think is, is important and empowering. Yes. I love yeah. that you said that it is empowering and it's nice to know that we have agency and choice, I guess, you know, on the spectrum that could end up being more stressful for some people. And yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. But knowing that mom and dad both have choices and it's a joint thing, because I think a lot of pressure is just on the female, but it is important with the male. And I think, you know, nutrition, we, we know that just from the five minutes of this discussion is really important, but there's so many things outside of nutrition. Like even if you're eating all the organic food, there's still so many other things, right, that are coming to harass our bodies. Do we want to jump into environmental toxins? Like, or maybe is there a, a list, a priority list of what is the most dangerous or detrimental to health and fertility? I mean, if we had to prioritize, I would actually say like the mind-body connection is the number one most important thing to optimize. Wow. And and that, when we get into the test results and get into what, what, what I call the FAST framework, which is how to break down, how to work with the biological clock and, and fertility, we have it in two categories. We have stress and we have trauma. And those definitely weave together. And I think both need to be addressed, like daily stress, how we respond to stress, how we like we can't always control our environment, but if we do have like an abusive boss or an abusive partner, maybe there are big decisions that need to be made to stand for our worth. If there's mm -hmm. been trauma, that can be creating daily stress because if we're constantly in that fight or flight mode. And I've had like I've had patient cases where we do one or two mind-body appointments and I get their labs back and I'm like, there's no way you would have like gotten pregnant so easily. And they're pregnant like before we even I even put them on a plan just from the mind body work and trauma wow. release stuff. So amazing. Yeah. Priority, I would say the mind body is number one. And then beyond that, I would say like nutrition and toxins are like a balanced second. And then the other categories that, so what, what I look at in the fast framework and what I've been looking at with my, my 
patients for almost a decade now is so food and fasting. So what you're eating, how you're eating, when you're eating, all of that sort of fun stuff, which I love that we are on the Biohacker Babes podcast right now because biohackers know all about this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fitness, obviously, also. Uh, associated conditions. So this would be things like looking at the MTHFR uh, SNP or, or, or gene mutation and other methylation defects in similar pathways, other blood sugar dysregulation. So I just want to side note here on something. So something like if we're looking at like a hormone imbalance or something like PCOS, which is metabolic, hormonal, also maybe a little immune, there's definitely environmental triggers, toxin exposure triggers. But we also know that when, if mom smoked when you were in the womb as a, as a female fetus, that increases your chances of PCOS dramatically. So there are some things that are in our past that we can't necessarily control that we can do our best to handle in this moment. And I believe that the body can heal from anything. It's just, can we find the right, can we, can we remove those obstacles and can we support that vitality and through both habits and, and mind, body, and spirit connection? So, so associated conditions, sleep, stress, supplements, toxins, and trauma. Um, so I look at all of those and there's, I'm sure there's other like subcategories that kind of like come in, but um, I feel like that is a, a good way for, for women and men and couples to kind of understand all the different areas that can affect fertility. Mm. Yeah. I, that's an incredible list. And I think a lot of people are probably not aware of that. I mean, like I said, even when I was going to one of the top fertility clinics in the country and they were saying, oh, there's nothing you can do. And then recently, actually, friends of mine, they were struggling to get pregnant. And I went to their house and they had those blade plugins in every room. <gasps> and I was like, how do I like politely tell them like that could be problematic? Right. I mean, it's like the little things, and I'm sure it just it all adds up. And then that's causing this huge rise in infertility. And I'm just curious, do you have any statistics on what's going on with infertility cases? So right now in the US, it's estimated that. One in five to one in six couples struggle with, and and it also is like, are we defining it as infertility? Are we defining it as difficulty conceiving? You know, I I don't like to use the term infertility because I feel like it sucks hope out of the situation, and I think mm. there's always hope. Sometimes it need we need a little more technology than others, but I I do think there's always hope, and and the numbers might be a little bit higher if we're looking at something like you know, taking longer to conceive or, or, or like longer time to conception or, or like a, like struggling, but not necessarily infertility. And it's also estimated that, you know, because both partners are contributing half of the DNA, typically we see in some cases it's 30% more on the female side, 30% more on the male side and 30% some sort of combined factors. So that's mm -hmm. a, another big point is like, we, sometimes we forget about the male. <laughs> We forget that like the man right. has a lot to do with it too. And, and there are things that we can look at that are going to give us some insight into the quality of the DNA that's being passed down, the quality of those epigenetics, which is how we're turning those genes on and off, which we used to think didn't get passed down. But now we know there are actually mechanisms that how we turn the good genes on and the bad genes off or the other way around in some, times, in some ways does actually get passed down to our offsprings. So remembering that that male component is important and there's 
some additional testing that is also like fairly conventional, but also not used quite a bit in like the conventional fertility world. Like for example, for men, like a DNA fragmentation, like a sperm DNA fragmentation test, where they're actually looking at the health of the DNA. Our test doesn't do that, but we do look at the, the health of the cell and the health of the DNA for the whole body. And we know that, you know, just like for women, for men, and we don't think about this, advanced biological age or, you know, older DNA, older cells, when we're, when we're measuring them, does have some health and fertility implications. You know, whether it's disease risks down the line or being able to conceive, it's different for men than women, but I, I just want to emphasize that it's also very, very important. Mm-hmm. Is that something that they would be able to do from just like a sperm, like a basic sperm analysis? That's just one extra step that they could look at? It's an extra step. And there's a company that does like an at-home version now uh, I want to say, and I'm totally promoting like a, not my own company, but we don't need the <laughs> test, so it's totally fine. My CEO will like, well, I'll have a talk about it later. Um, <laughs> I want to say- I think I've heard about that maybe from Dave Asprey. It's called, I think it's, I want to say their company is Legacy. Uh, we'll have to double okay. check, but they they do an at-home semen analysis and you can add the DNA fragmentation. Mm, um, and there's another one, CS, CSCA, SCSA that you basically get like a capsule that you put the sample into and then ship it right off and, and they can do the DNA fragmentation. So, hmm. um, wow. yeah. That's yeah. Cool. So just like that. So that test for men is now more widely available. And I think super, super important. A lot of times fertility clinics won't go to it until like everything else is, is, is not working. And the counterpart to that for women, I think is our fertility wise test, because we are, while we're not looking at eggs specifically, because we don't want to necessarily take eggs out of your body and test them if we don't have to, we can get some information about the health of the egg through the health of the cell, through what we're looking at is really DNA methylation, which is epigenetics. It's how we're passing down our DNA. So we're really looking at the health of our, our cells, the health of our eggs through on, on a DNA level. Very cool. Yeah. So chronological versus biological age. I will say our audience is pretty familiar with this, but can you just do a quick explanation of how, I mean, you have already explained how it relates to fertility, but just a quick um, overview of how like our, our, our current age is not necessarily what our cells are expressing. Exactly. So chronological age is based on our birthday, what's on our driver's license. Biological age is the age of our cells based on our DNA methylation. Our test specifically uses the Horvath algorithm for our biohacking community here. Um, And then we also have the Dunedin-Pace algorithm out of Duke University, which is currently touted as like the most accurate um, aging marker. Uh, And that's really looking more at we call it the aging speedometer because it's really looking at how fast your cells, your DNA is aging in this moment, not necessarily what you've done for the last 10 years or your genetics or, or whatnot. So it also tells us like if you have a before and after, whatever you've done in that time period, whether, was it effective or not? Did that, did that, did your speedometer speed up? Did it slow down? And so that's, that's great. That's one of my favorite markers. And then the third part of our test is our clock tox, which does look at three classes of toxins, again, using DNA methylation, so just a few drops of blood, that toxins, which we know when mom and dad are exposed, decrease success with IVF, decrease success with egg freezing, with what we're getting yield, et cetera. And then with fertility specifically, so we we have the toxin component that ages the ovaries, decreases egg count, and then decreases success with egg freezing and IVF. But even just biological age, one of the papers I went through when this test, when we were creating this test, showed that women who had advanced biological age, so biological age or the age of their cells was older 
than their chronological age, um, had poorer outcomes on IVF and egg freezing, even if they were younger. So even if they were 28, 30, 31, if their biological age was older, they had poorer outcomes. So fewer eggs, fewer embryos, poorer quality embryos. They weren't tracking natural conception because we're in an IVF clinic and you know we need clear outcome data and all that sort of thing. So I do think it translates to natural conception. And I think that's actually what I've been seeing in my practice for 10 years. For example, I had a couple, she was 42 when she came to me. She had had two failed rounds of IVF, one at 36 and one at 40, and had had um, had naturally conceived and had a miscarriage, later term miscarriage, unfortunately. Up in, and in her rounds of IVF had either zero embryos or one non-viable embryo. She came to me, she'd been doing fasting, we did some supplementation. We did a lot of mind-body work. We actually worked a little bit with psychedelics. I don't facilitate, but she had facilitators that supported her with clearing some trauma that way. And when they did a... And this, we, we worked together just a few months. Um, and when they went back to do another round of IVF, they got nine viable embryos. Wow. Wow. So, That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So like up until that point, or up until the last few years, we didn't. I didn't have one marker where I could say you know, health is more important than age for fertility. So now health is more important than age for fertility up to a point. Menopause is still real for, for now. We'll see. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, but now that biological age marker that we have is really that marker of cellular health and that marker of, you know, age for fertility as opposed to just, you know, the age that maybe your reproductive endocrinologist or IVF clinic is looking at. Mm. Wow. Hey, biohackers. It is really hard to overstate how important magnesium is for all aspects of our health, but it's pretty awesome that so many people in the health industry are talking about the importance of magnesium. I mean, this even includes people like Dr. Mark Hyman and Andrew Huberman, amazing people in the industry that we all look up to. And this is because magnesium is really essential to our health and our well-being. This is a huge problem today because magnesium deficiency can increase your risk of all diseases and keep you from performing optimally. And we really don't want to wait until we are deficient in magnesium. Even more critically, there's not just one type of magnesium. There are actually seven different types that we need in order to ensure both our health and vitality remain strong. Now, we are huge advocates of getting as many of our nutrients as we can through a real food, well-balanced diet. And it would be perfect if we could do just that. But in this case, it's almost impossible to get enough magnesium taken through our food alone because our soil is depleted of minerals and lacking organic matter, which really helps the plants get the food that they need from the soil. I've heard that if half a century ago we needed to eat one head of lettuce, today we would have to eat 50 heads of lettuce to get the same amount of nutrients. That is bonkers. Fortunately, Bioptimizers has an incredible solution. Yeah, their product, Magnesium Breakthrough, this supplement, it's the only product in the market with all seven types of magnesium, like I mentioned, and it's specifically formulated to reach every tissue in your body to provide maximum health benefits. The Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough gives you access to the full spectrum of magnesium, which can dramatically improve your overall health. It does things like reduce stress, improve sleep, reduces anxiety, can even boost our energy levels, really a broad spectrum of benefits. Yeah, I've personally seen a great improvement in my workout recovery and my sleep stats since incorporating Mag Breakthrough. And when I travel, it always makes the cut in my bag. Yep, I always have that in my suitcase for sure. Can't go anywhere without it. 
So right now, if you want to try Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough or any of the other awesome Bioptimizer's products that we love, for 10% off, you can just head over to magbreakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes. That's M-A-G breakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes. We will link to that in the show notes for today's episode as well, so it's easy for you to find. And then when you're checking out, make sure you use code biohackerbabes10, and that will boost your intake of magnesium, and you can start feeling better right away. All right, biohackers, don't wait to be deficient. Start taking the best magnesium and improve your well-being right now. Just go to www.magbreakthrough.com backslash biohackerbabes. All right, let's get back to the show. I mean, that's really good to hear because, you know, I've always kind of thought for me, like 35 was like the scary age. I was like, well, as long as I'm pregnant by 35, like I'll be okay. But now I'm like turning 36 in a month or two. <laughs> so I'm like, it's it's helpful to know it really is more of the biological age. Although my test results weren't as ideal as I had hoped, <laughs> which I know you're going to cover. Yeah, I'll um, talk about that. And it's <laughs> most of the test results that come in, most people are biologically older. Oh, I was Um, wondering that. Okay. That makes me feel better. (laughs) Yeah. Most people are biologically older. Um, and the, the oldest we've seen is 10 years biologically older than chronological age. And most people have multiple toxin exposures. Even, even my people who are like super clean, all the things. Um, so you both are very normal. And the beautiful part though, is that we can rewind the biological clock. And I'm proof of that. And when I, when we were creating the test, there were only a handful of papers published that showed that it was even possible to rewind the biological clock through using DNA methylation. And one of those papers was by Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. It had just come out. I'm a big fan of her work and, and I totally agree with a lot of, uh, you know, love everything that she's putting out there. Um, so that gave me a lot of hope of like, okay, so we can actually rewind the biological clock. So when I first took the test, I came back four years older than I was. And I, um, you know, I'm in my mid thirties in LA single and I want babies. And so this was like fertility death sentence. I, oh, no. I'm done for, <laughs> like I, I had a yeah. mental breakdown for a little bit. So then I'm like, okay, now I need to actually figure out. So there is some evidence we can rewind this. I need to do this for myself, put myself on a protocol and within eight weeks, complete, not completely, but rewound my biological clock by two full years in eight weeks. Wow. Yeah. Eight and weeks. That's eight amazing. Weeks. Yeah. yeah and it's really inspiring. Then, Thank you. Yeah. And since then, so I turned 35 in March and my, you know, and I, I'm retesting every couple of months. I tested like two weeks before my 35th birthday. So I'd have my results for my birthday. And I came back at 31 and three quarters. So Amazing. I went, yeah. So I went from four years older to almost four years younger in about a year and a half. Okay. I want to wow. do what you're doing. <laughs> I know. I'll have okay, what so she's I, having. <laughs> totally. I guess we should jump into our test results. This is really scary, but also empowering because I think a lot of people think when you get test results, it's just going to be what you said, a death, like a death sentence. We can't do anything with the information. And then it's just more stressful to know, but we're going to just like keep repeating over and over. Like we have (laughs) agency to change. So that's awesome. Absolutely. I think let's go through the test results because then we, as we go through the rest of our questions, our audience will have more context for the conversation. Perfect. I am terrified, but we're going <laughs> to, we're going to use this because I think it'll be a good, good conversation. All right. Who wants to go first? Yeah. Ah, I'll go first. Okay. All right, Lauren. So your test results, we're going to start with your biological age. Your chronological age is 38, correct? Correct. So your biological age came back at 39.99. So about two years older. Mm-hmm. 
um, your Dunedin PACE algorithm, which is that aging speedometer, uh, came back at 0.8. So that's good. So one, 1.0 is you're aging at the same rate as time. So 0.8 means you're aging slower than time. So whatever you've been doing very recently is, is, is a good thing. You're doing the right things. So we'll, once we get through the toxin, once I you know, kind of give you the results, we'll talk about what things could have contributed and how we can help you rewind the clock. So biological age is two years older. Aging speedometer is at 0.8. So you're aging slower than time, which is good. And then you actually came back with one of the best toxin panels I've seen. So <gasps> what? <laughs> yeah. So your clock talks, yeah, your clock talks panel, you did not have any BPA, no BPF, which is, you know, toxic sister of BPA, um, no paraben. And we don't test every paraben. We don't test every bisphenol. We test what we can accurately give you information for based on DNA methylation. And, and this panel, I had to get data from a lab in the Netherlands in order for us to be able to like create this panel. So so it's mm-hmm. not everything, but what we have is accurate. Does this and, mean that I can keep going to Starbucks and drinking out of a plastic cup? <laughs> oh my God. Well, so that's what, what it, I want to know. <laughs> what it means is that if you, whatever exposures you are having are not showing up on the epigenetic level, they're not showing up as altering your DNA, which is great. Okay. So yeah. if we, if we were to, to do like a urine panel and see what's currently coming out of your body, we may or may not find some of these things and how it's affecting your DNA is dose dependent, frequency dependent. It doesn't mean it wouldn't be affecting your body overall. Sure. This so it could either marker. be excreting it really well, or it's just a low enough exposure. Are you saying? Yeah. Yeah. Your body is resilient enough that it's not, it's not getting to the DNA or epigenetic level for you. Yeah. Okay. This yeah. <laughs> we did find two phthalates and, but that's all, that's really all we, all we found out of uh, six. So over, like I said, <sighs> some of the best clock talks results I've seen so far. Amazing. And for the doomed in pace, what is there an average? Cause it's, I don't know. I'm human. I always want to compare myself to other people <laughs> is 0.8 good compared to what, what else, what other things you see? 0.8 is great. So the, the range starts at 0.6. And goes to, I'm actually going to have to double check how high it goes just because I haven't seen it all the way up. But I would say most of the samples we receive are in like the 0.9 to 1.2 range. Yeah. So it's 0.6 to up to 1.4. So, but, but anything under the, under one, I think is good. Now we can definitely slow down the clock even more. um, And, and we can talk about some of those things. I just want to say though, so you probably, you, I think you both got a chance to look at your reports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to hear if you want to share, and we don't have to go into this, what your experience was like seeing your results, seeing, reading the FAST framework. What was that like for you? I think my brain was definitely hanging on the biological age number because it rounded up and said 40 and that felt really scary to me. <laughs> and I didn't have a good context about what the doomed in pace really was. I mean, I, it looked, it appeared to be good to me, but I think seeing that number was a little scary, but also because I knew we were going to talk to you and because I'm a biohacker, I, I I'm still optimistic, but I would, I think be curious what the average person would feel in that moment. Like cortisol rise. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when I wrote the report, we tried to write it from a perspective of like, because you also get the fast framework with it. So, so whoever does the test, you actually, you know, you've got like 20 pages of like, okay, here's some things I can start doing right now. 
to, to start making this better. So I hope that that was at least a little bit empowering and we can talk about those totally. things now. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. Do you want to do um, Renee's first and then we can like jointly do? Great idea. Love that. Love that. Love that. Okay. So Renee, you, your, your chronological age is 35, correct? But you said mm-hmm. you're going to be 36 in a couple of weeks. In October. In October, October. So a couple months. Okay. So your biological age came back at 42.33, um, which is one of the higher ones that we've seen. But when, but knowing a little bit about your health history, I'm I'm not entirely surprised. And, and again, I think there's still a lot we can work with there. Your Dunedin Pace number came back at 0.7, so you're you're doing a little bit better than Lauren. If you Ooh, guys are having a contest, nice. <laughs> always we'll catch up eventually. <laughs> it's a healthy contest, but we certainly are. <laughs> Happy to be the tortoise in this one. Yes, that's awesome. (laughs) Yep. And then uh, Renee, for you, we did find BPA in your system and we did find a few phthalates. So two phthalates. And then for one of the phthalates, um, if you're looking at your report on the bottom that came back as medium, that one also counts as, so technically three reportable phthalates in your system. And, you know, going into the environmental toxin piece, the research is kind of fun and also kind of like crazy because- I have not yet been able to find like, okay, this phthalate specifically comes from this kind of plastic or, you know, it's, it's kind of like yeah. any fragrance could have any of the phthalates. A lot of the, the thing that kind of blows my mind aside from the, the fragrance is like all these um, like recycled plastic bottle clothes, which a lot of yoga pants, like it's, it's a big thing right now. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. I know. <gasps> yeah. I know. Um, Healthy and for the environment, not for your body. <laughs> yeah. I don't Especially even know about that first hot. statement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Like hot and sweaty on your body, like degrading, you know, the particles and whatnot. So I think we're finding more and more the different areas where these things are coming into our body. Because even that, like I said, even my patients who think they're doing everything perfectly, we usually find something and it's usually a phthalate. And there's other toxins that we, like I said, we don't have the ability to test for yet. Something like the PFAs the PFAS, which are like a, a more of like a persistent chemical that stays in the body, but also affects fertility. So we're, we're actually working on trying to add some more markers, but it's kind of like, as we're making the changes that I'm, we're going to talk about and that are in the, the fast framework in the report, it's going to help kind of pull out all the different classes of, uh, of potential toxin exposure, even things that we can't test for on our test just yet. So hope. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I definitely feel like I have some work to do. I mean, the, the toxic exposure is so interesting because I feel like I have done so much to clean everything up. Like I switched to, you know, only beauty counter, Ali Tora, all these like clean companies, like probably 10 years ago, it's been a long time, but I don't know. I occasionally drink from a plastic water bottle. I admit when I'm traveling, sometimes that just happens. Maybe a spritz of perfume on date night, but like my perfume bottle, it's hilarious. It'll last like eight years. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I think I bought like two bottles since I met my husband like 17 years ago. So um, yeah, but I don't know, like maybe I'm sensitive to like a little bit of that. I don't know. So I'm going to do some investigating to see if I'm missing something and perfect. Yeah. Yeah. In my age. So considering our results, and considering that we're biohackers and I think like we do a lot, where would you start? Like we do some fasting, we've cleaned our products. Yeah. So I would say the first thing I would say, so I said, you know, top priority is mind body. So I would love to hear where each of you feel like your stress levels have been in the last year or so. Ooh, I'll go first. <laughs> I mean, I think that 
I'll admit this is, has always been the hardest part of my health journey. Like I sleep like a queen. I do the right workouts. My diet is pretty clean, but I lean towards the type A addicted to productivity kind of mindset. But like I said, I sleep nine hours a night. I meditate 30 minutes a day. Like I prioritize those things because I think if I didn't, I would not be able to function in society (laughs) kind of thing. And now Lauren and I've been playing with the Hanu Health heart rate variability device, which has been really interesting to see because we naturally have a high HRV, but my overall resilience to stress is low. Mm. So I definitely think I have some work to do there. I've also been doing some ketamine therapy to see if that helps, but I, I, Lauren actually does some assisted psychedelic work. So I, I, I want to maybe work with Lauren and do some of that. Amazing. I, know, so I, I think I have some work to do in that okay. realm always. Okay. okay. Beautiful. Um, and then knowing your history of mercury exposure, toxicity, and the Epstein-Barr virus, those both go in the toxin category. So the toxin category is environmental toxins, but also microbial toxins. So, you know, viruses, also mold. Mold is one of the things that when, like I said, I test every, I test very frequently. One of the things that aged me the fastest, like I aged an entire year and 30 days was when I was dealing with a mold exposure in my apartment. Mm, wow. um, so if you haven't tested mycotoxins or or had like an actual like real home evaluation. I'd probably start with a urine mycotoxin panel just to kind of see what's coming out of you right now and see if there is a current exposure that needs to be addressed. I do wonder if, I mean, Epstein-Barr, I've definitely had like reactivations over the years and I can kind of feel when that happens. Like if I'm not doing everything perfectly, I'll have a lot of those virus or viral symptoms again. Mm -hmm. And I've done some tests that show it's, you know, reactivated. So that's interesting to see, but I haven't done anything specific to mold. So you might have to check that. Yeah. It could be, it could be another piece of the puzzle or, or it could, you know, if the EBV has been reactivating, it could be that as well. So some things to look at. I love that sleep is amazing. I love that. I mean, I, I love that you both are biohackers. It makes this like both really easy and like, okay, now what, what else can we look at? <laughs> yeah. Just Maybe tell us a what little to do. harder on the back. Yeah. Like, what else? <laughs> tell us more. Yeah. Yeah. So food, food and fasting. One of the things, do you eat, do either of you eat organ meats, specifically grass-fed liver? I do the uh, capsules. Yeah. Okay. Supplement. So you are getting it in then? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, I don't great. cook it myself though. Yeah. Me neither. My sister made me pate one time and she's like, never again. Um, I'll eat it. I'll pate. eat it. I'll eat it too. I won't make it though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one is really time intensive and then it's like you have one serving and you're like, oh, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I've wasted so much after cooking it. Oh yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah. so grass-fed beef liver. So we're, so what we're looking at is, is the DNA methylation. So we, we want to optimize methylation in the body. So liver, grass-fed beef liver, if it's not grass-fed, it's obviously not worth it, as you know, is one of the superfoods for methylation. So you, you, you both are already doing that. That's fantastic. I'd also be curious to know, have you, have you run your genetics? Do you know what your methylation pathways look like? Any SNPs in there? Um, I mean, heterozygous MTHFR. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious, would you cross, do any cross-referencing with lab work? Like my homocysteine's in balance, zinc is in balance, methylmalonic acid is always good. Is that a good check or would you still address it if there is the, the SNP? I think it's a case by case basis. So in my private practice, so 
what's lovely is fertility wise, anybody can get it at home. You can, you know, order direct on the website, do the finger prick at home, send it in, get your report and, and get started. And it's designed for, you know, not just, we didn't write it for the biohacker community. We wrote it for like women everywhere. Men can, men can obviously take it too, but we really want to like bring this mainstream and bring the biohacking mainstream. In my practice, I run a lot of tests. Um, and so I'm making decisions based on blood work and, and, and all sorts of things. So, you know, it, and it might also be worth a try of like doing like a methylated B complex and kind of seeing if you can tolerate it as long as you don't have any like COMT issues we need to look at first and whatnot. But yeah, I think we both have been doing methyl B vitamins for okay a long time. A right, long Renee? time. Yeah. Okay. Actually kind of funny story. Uh, when I was first diagnosed with the unexplained infertility, like I said, this was in 2012. So 10 years ago, I first heard about this thing called MTHFR. Oh my gosh, I'm heterozygous. This is the answer. I'm telling oh, all my yeah. friends, there's this thing called MTHFR. This must be the issue, you know? And now 10 years later, I'm like, okay, that's like one piece of the puzzle, but, but yeah, yeah, it's the most popular on the playground. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. But yeah, so it's probably been 10 years that I've been taking. I mean, I definitely, I try and do on and off a little bit, but just to cycle things. Okay, okay, great. So we talked about, okay, so, and what are you both doing fasting-wise these days? Yeah, I want to hear your opinion on that. (laughs) uh, One day a week, if it's right where I am in my cycle, I'll do a eh, 18 to 20-hour fast. Okay, Um, 20 seems to be kind of my max at the moment. Always trying to push it a little bit more. So (laughs) it probably happens two to three times a month that I'll do a full, almost a full day fast. Okay. And then intermittent fasting, like my feeding window is not more than 12 hours. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think a 12, 12 is, is like imperative for health. And then what's interesting is, you know, so there was a lot of information on like caloric restriction, turning back the biological clock, which is tricky when you're talking about fertility because you don't want to shut down the HPG axis. And so too much caloric restriction, you'll stop making hormones. You'll stop like, we don't want to stop ovulating. Like we don't want to do that. So it is important to like time with your cycle and, and make sure that you are having feasting times as well if you're doing fasting. And it's also, what's kind of crazy is, so like there was all this research on caloric restriction and then um, Dr. Kara Fitzgerald's paper came out and her group who, they also did an eight week study. And I think the average age reversal was about three years. And it wasn't just women. I think it was actually mostly men which is also like most of the research is on men. So we have to like extrapolate a little bit, but they didn't do any fasting. It wasn't like fasting wasn't a big part of the protocol. It was more focused on like the methylation balancing foods. Mm. Um, And I had a similar experience. So the first time I reversed my biological clock, the two years and eight weeks, I did the prolonged fasting mimicking diet twice. So five days in the first month, five days in the second month, I did it. I timed it like, I think I started on day like four or five of my cycle. So I was done a couple of days before ovulation and then I didn't have to worry about it during luteal phase, but I did stay in keto like an extra week because blood sugar can definitely... I'm assuming you both have been tracking blood sugar CGMs, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> Lauren, really. that's actually the, a majority of my work. Me. I do CGM oh, tracking with my clients. Amazing. I, I'm actually curious, like I was testing blood sugar when I did Prolon and my blood sugar's generally pretty stable. If I eat the things I know I should eat on Prolon, I was getting the highest spikes of all time eating those packaged foods. I was like, this totally feels really counterintuitive. Totally. I had the same experience. 
Um, which is why that when I did my more recent stint, which was from December to February of this last year, right before I tested for my birthday, I didn't do prolon and I actually didn't do any fasting. Like I was on a 12-12, but I think that's like a normal healthy, like I don't even really call that fasting. I call that like a normal healthy being a good circadian <laughs> human. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so I had uh I had my clock had gone forward quite a bit from the mold exposure in October and November of last year. So December, I'm like, I had moved out of the apartment. I'm like, okay, now it's, you know, really got to get to work. And so I had tested at like 34 and a half and then went down to 31 and three quarters. So it was about a three year, a three year reversal in like two and a half months. And the, and that was not fasting focused. And I wasn't even, you know, testing ketones or, you know, I wasn't intentionally doing keto at all, really. I was just focusing on the organ meats, green tea, all the veggies. I was doing quite a bit of supplementation. The alpha ketoglutarate, which is in the supplement section, has really good research on it. Uh, as far as being able to reverse the biological clock, I want to say like eight years and six or seven months. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I get Sign my numbers up. switched up, but yeah. So that was that was one of the things that I was doing, and so that I think that made a really big difference for me. I was doing like drinking green tea and also doing a green tea supplement. Um, I was doing my methylated bees. I was doing uh, some NAD injections. <laughs> oh, NAD is a good one. Precursors yeah. are great too. I wish it wasn't so expensive. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, having my own clinic helps. <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> All right. That's what we need to do, Renee. <laughs> Just go um, back to school again. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I had gotten on a tangent, but but saying that like fasting... Like there is research that the caloric restriction and fasting is an effective way to do caloric restriction when it can be helpful, but it's also not required. So it's it's also this balance of like, and it's kind of similar with the fitness component too, of what is the right balance for your system. Because like you can have too much exercise and that can be stressing on the endocrine system and on creating extra, you know, reactive oxygen, reactive oxygen species. And if you don't have the right antioxidants to kind of balance that out with the amount of work that you're doing, it can be more depleting than restorative. So from a fertility perspective, we want to look at energy balance of like, do we have enough energy to create another human life? And is it safe enough to create another human life? So I would say safety is probably the first thing. And that's where the mind-body component really comes in. Because if the if the nervous system, if if your entire system thinks that, it, well, it takes a lot of resources to create another human. A lot, like nine months, uh, a lot of nutrients, a lot of energy. So if your body, if your system thinks that that new human is not going to survive either because it's going to get eaten by a tiger or it's going to starve to death, the body will not make another human. So safety is the first piece. And then, and that, that kind of goes with the energy balance, you know, our biologically being like how, how we reproduce has, is in our DNA, it's in our cells. And so Fasting is also in ourselves, but so is feasting. And so it's like, really, what is that balance for for each individual? Hmm. Yeah, that's good to know that maybe we don't have to do the extreme stuff. Maybe just focusing on not having those extra things out, outside of our feeding window that people sometimes are unaware of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you said great for twelve. I feel like twelve hours, like you said, is like easy to do. But and Lauren, you've in, you've invited me to do like the twenty four hour fast with a fellow biohacker, Dasha, and I'm like, it's too much for me, but. If you can do it and feel good, I think that's great. Yeah. I stick to 12 to 14. Yeah. Okay. I feel better about that. Sometimes when I say, oh, I only do up to 20 hours, I like cringe at myself. I'm like, they're going to think I'm, you know, 
You're not a real biohacker. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that's what works for me. And I do like, I feel confident about that. Hey, biohackers. We just have a quick interruption in today's episode to tell you about something that is a game changer when it comes to blue light. So, you know, we talk about blue light exposure a lot on the podcast and how we really want to be getting outdoors, getting that natural blue light exposure, especially first thing in the morning, right? That's going to help get us energized and focused and increase our natural rise in cortisol for the day. But unfortunately, a lot of us are sitting inside on computers and tablets and phones and TVs, right? And we're getting all this artificial blue light, which is very damaging to our overall health, but especially for our eye health. We don't want to be straining our eyes all day with this blue light exposure because it can cause long-term damage to our eyes, but also like that eye strain, maybe you've experienced headaches or blurry vision or just that mental fatigue. So a really easy biohack for this is to wear blue light blocking glasses during the day. And that's where our friends from Felix Gray come in which I am wearing right now. Not that you can see them because you're just listening to my voice, but they're nice because they just look like normal glasses. So if you don't like the crazy amber looking glasses when you're on your work calls or whatever, this is a really great option to protect your eyes during the day. Yeah, I definitely feel a difference and I am wearing my glasses as well right now too. I feel a difference when I do not wear them. Despite my best efforts, I am a a magnet to the sun, but I also have Zoom calls on my computer all day long. So I often can't get the balance of indoor to outdoor light like I want to. And if I'm not wearing my glasses, I do start to feel that fatigue, maybe brain fog, which I think a lot of us jump to. I need more sugar or I need more caffeine. Well, it could just be that your brain is exhausted from staring at blue light. So I think this is a really, really easy biohack that we should all be implementing if you are victim to these modern day stressors, like being in front of your computer, or even if you're on your phone a lot during the day does not hurt to try. And what we love about Felix Gray is that they're making some pretty stylish glasses. I think traditionally, a lot of the blue light blocking companies were not really going for fashion. And I know that's not the most important thing. We just want to block the blue light. But that was a big commitment for a lot of people because you look a little bit different at nighttime. And I know I like to wear mine in the airports and on airplanes. And so I'm just really grateful that we are moving in the direction that we can look like we're just wearing normal glasses or glasses that, you know, fit our face and we have different styles and frames so that we can look stylish, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking these will be great. Even when I just go out, especially being in Vegas, like when we have friends in town and I'm out at the casino, gosh, the blue light exposure there is just horrific. So the fact that I can wear, yeah, some stylish glasses that people wouldn't even probably question, it'll be nice to be able to protect myself in that way. And they've also gone one step further. They have prescription glasses available. And I remember when this first came out on the market, the blue light blocking glasses, especially like dad, he would wear his like reading glasses, prescription glasses, and then wear his blue light blocking glasses over it. And it's like, we've got to fix this problem. And Felix Gray has done that. (laughs) You do what you got to do. Okay. But yes, Yes. definitely happy. We're moving in the right direction. I do get that question a lot for my glasses wearing clients are the prescriptions. So yes, all in one, you can get it done, wear it. They are light. I've worn them to the movie theater. So if you don't want to go like full red or amber at night, I think you could wear these just to reduce a little bit. If you are exposed to a big screen with light and you still want to get home and go to bed. So I think there's many applications for it, but I would say you can wear these anywhere and no one is going to question you, even though I will 
suggests that you have these biohacking conversations and wear your red light glasses proudly, we can get by with Felix Gray and when we have health and style all in one. Yep. And their lenses actually filter 15 times more blue light. So that's really how it's helping our eyes. And you can see true color despite the lens tint, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And the tint, it's actually built into the glasses. So if you get really cheap ones on Amazon, you'll notice you could actually scratch the color off of it, which is not, hopefully you're not going to sit there and scratch at them, but you could scratch it off. This is built into the lens. So it's a really high quality. And I feel like these are going to just last me forever. They're, they're awesome. Yes. So if you want to check out these awesome glasses, you can head over to felixgrayglassescom slash biohacker babes. Always easy to remember that, right? Biohacker babes. Excellent. Let's get back to the show. You mentioned green tea. I'm like, oh my gosh, I used to drink so much green tea and I kind of stopped. I need to drink more green tea. Does that, is that really powerful? Green tea, is, of- green tea is super powerful. Yeah. I would say it's, right, it's maybe right up there, right next to maybe a little behind liver. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Three cups a day. A supplement? Seems, supplement is helpful too. Green tea, if you're going to drink it, like three cups of regular green tea a day or like one to two matchas, you know, now... If you're doing like an oat milk matcha latte, it's a little bit different than if you're doing like, <laughs> you know what I what, mean? What, the but... 50 grams of sugar doesn't help? <laughs> With the emulsifiers and the... <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. That's, that's actually another component is gut health is also, it kind of fits into a few of the different categories because it fits into the food, it fits in under stress, it fits in under toxins, et cetera. But that's something that, you know, in, in the functional fertility world, we tend to look at, but in the conventional fertility world, you know, just like Renee, when your professor was like, yeah, nutrition doesn't have anything to do with fertility. It's like a lot of people are like, yeah, your gut, you know, I think now more than ever because everything's like microbiome, but that's been, you know, over the last 10 years, I've seen that really evolve to be more included um, when we're talking about fertility and it, and it absolutely impacts bio impacts uh, biological age. So everything is connected. So will you run like a stool analysis on your patients? Yep. Okay, great. Do you yeah. have a preferred test? Is that something you want to say on air? I'm ha- I mean, I use, I use a few different ones. Um, so sometimes I use GI maps. Sometimes I use the gut zoomer by vibrant America. And mm-hmm. part of it is like, if I'm, <laughs> it's kind of logistics. It's like, if I'm ordering a bunch of vibrant America tests and they're like, you know, not local, if they're like, you know, down in San Diego and if it's easier, like we'll just do that one. The the data is very similar, I think, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. GI map I love, but they also were taking like a really long time to get results back to us. So I was kind of like, I needed they an do. alternative. They take forever. Yeah. So so those are the two I've been playing with recently. But I've also, you know, in the past have run like Doctor's Data and Genova and all sorts of fun stuff. Hmm. Well, I'm curious for the mind body piece. Where do you usually start with patients? So I start. For, for patients who are working with me one-on-one, I usually start with a very deep dive intake, which sometimes is like three or four hours long. Oftentimes I go to their home or these days we do Zoom, but for a while I was going to patients' homes. And I want to know everything about them from what they know about before they were conceived, before they were born, during the pregnancy, what their birth was like, what their childhood was like, every trauma that they can remember. Like we go... We go I, I kind of take a full like life inventory and then we'll ask questions of like, okay, you know, if, if something happened in high school, so give me, you know, on a one to 10 scale, when you check in with your body in this moment, how uncomfortable does it still make you? And so they give me a number and when I kind of rate things of like, okay, what, 
you know, what do we, where do we want to start? What do we need to work on first in order? If it's a trauma thing, if it's like a daily stress thing, then we'll start with some habits. But like for, for example, when I had mentioned, you know, I had the couple, we did two mind body appointments and they got pregnant. And I was like, how is this possible with your labs? But to give more specifics on that. So she was 36. They had been trying for a year at 19. She was told she had PCOS and she'd never get pregnant. She completely changed her diet and lifestyle. And from what I had seen, I'm like, you actually have no evidence of PCOS right now, but like, let's run all the labs and see. So the first thing I said, I said, you know, that doctor had no right to tell you that. And I think you can get pregnant. Our second appointment was just her and I, um, her husband wasn't there. And we started talking about childhood. We started talking about what she feels in her daily life. And this fear of abandonment came up and we, she like recovered this memory of when she was five years old, her brothers took her out to the woods and left her there. So you have this trauma, this abandonment trauma. And now her husband's a Marine and is constantly leaving and, you know, might not come home one day. And that's a very scary thing. So this like fear of abandonment is constantly getting triggered. And so there's no safe and maybe not no safety in her nervous system, but there's this lack of safety in her nervous system. And so we did uh, an emotional release process. We, the one, I think the specific one I did with her is called active release from a body of work called body talk. I kind of, I bring a bunch of different bodies of work together. And then their next cycle, her next ovulation, they got pregnant. That's incredible. So amazing. And I'm assuming if she had any kind of gut dysfunction, that would have been really triggered by the nervous system, like fight or flight state that she was in. So that probably healed itself as well. Well, so she actually did have... So we did a stool panel. We did a food intolerance panel. We did, because she was having gut ish, like gut symptoms. Like she was having abdominal pain after eating, constipation. I can't remember what else because this was like seven, six or seven years ago now. And we didn't, we didn't even get to address any of that because, because she was pregnant. And so like a lot of the things I would give, I couldn't give during pregnancy, but she actually did well for a while. And the crazy thing is she, so she has two babies now. Um, Second baby was easily conceived and beautiful birth. And she actually reached out last week and is having gut issues again. <laughs> and, and now oh, no. we, we, it's kind of like full circle. We never got to really address it fully the first time. Yeah. So now we're, we're revisiting it. Um, and there were, there was more trauma in her life that we absolutely could have addressed. But, um, but yeah, so I would say like taking an inventory and then giving yourself a rating of like, okay, what is still very alive in my system that would handling that thing would relieve a lot of stress in the nervous system. And I actually love ketamine as well. I don't use it with my fertility mamas as much because a lot of them are wanting to conceive in the next few months. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, while I, I think psychedelics are amazing and, and hugely valuable for most humans, I'm just hesitant about using them close to conception. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would imagine there's not, there's maybe not a lot of research on. Yeah. What's going to happen there? Yeah. Yeah. Even though I think some of the indigenous people like drink ayahuasca throughout pregnancy and, you know, they're fine, but ketamine is a different. Probably. <laughs> yeah. The synthetics yeah. I'm a little more concerned about, but, uh, but, but lots of tools, lots of tools. And then I think finding, so the inventory rating, you know, what need, what's most significant to be addressed first, and then finding the tool that works for you. For some people, it's energy work. For some people, it's talk therapy. For some people, it's psychedelics. For some people, it's somatic experiencing you know, there's there, I've taken women out to the woods to, to do primal scream therapy. Like if that's, what's needed, you know, it's like, what does this human need? What do, what do I need as a human? Um, and going and, and trusting your intuition. Cause I think a part of the fertility journey for so many women is being able to listen to your own system 
and and feel and know and guide yourself through this healing journey. And and I think that's part of this maturation and part of this um, like owning who you are as a woman, so that when you are a mother, you like it's already part of who you are. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. We're big on intuition. So cool. I, and I love the personalization. I mean, it has to be personalized, but it sounds like your toolbox is so vast. And once you get to know the patient, you kind of know where to pick and choose the modalities from. So cool. Do you find with the mind body stuff, like my brain's making all these connections, like, okay, if mind body is at the top, it makes a lot of sense. Something like insulin resistance or blood sugar dysregulation is probably also benefit from, from doing the mind body stuff. Oh, totally. Totally, totally, totally. So my CEO and my best friend, Sarah, we started Clockwise together. She's also rewound her clock by about two years. She came back a bit older as well. The only thing we did for her was I prescribed her a CGM and we just tracked her blood sugar and she was shooting up to like 180 after lunch. From stress or just incorrect foods? That was that was a, a carbohydrate issue. That was an insulin resistance issue. But what was crazy is that we started seeing spikes in her glucose when she wasn't eating. And I'm like, what happened here? And she's like, oh, I had a fight with my boss. <laughs> yeah. I see some, some oh, of the yeah. biggest spikes from stressful events, from mental, emotional stuff. And then you add in a meal on top of that and it's really bad. So lunchtime tends to be a really like potent healing opportunity because we tend to eat faster. A lot of people eat while they're doing work or on the go. Like you're not sitting down and having the joy and the gratitude. Like you do at dinner time. like lunch mm-hmm. is really, really delicate. Yeah. And, and so she actually was just in Florida with her family and she's like, man, my blood sugar is like, you know, I had a little bit of carbs, but I ate it at the end of my meal after my, after my veggies and my protein. And like, I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, it's totally your parents are, your mom's totally stressing you out or like, you know, your, it's your family. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, no. So the takeaway is stress, mind, body at the very top. It, like this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm curious with infertility and, and for, for couples that are looking into IVF, I know the answer, I guess, but like, why is this stuff not talked about? Like why are CGMs not more accessible to those people? Like I peripherally know a lot of people like Renee that are doing IVF and they don't know anything about blood sugar or stress or toxins. And how how do we help those people? Yeah. So that's actually the mission of Clockwise is like bringing essentially functional medicine to the masses around fertility specifically and, and empowering women to know that they, you know, there are, we can't control everything. Like it's really up to God, (laughs) whether, whether this child is going to come in or not. Um, at least in my opinion. And we have a lot more control over the health of this vessel that might be able to bring this baby in than we originally thought. Now, what's cool is there are a number of reproductive endocrinologists, because I'm following them on Instagram, who are talking about the environmental toxin piece and who are recommending to their clients to cut out plastics and fragrances and whatnot, which I think is beautiful and amazing. And I think with like the conventional docs, there's a little bit of this indoctrination that if there's not like a paper saying that this specific thing affects this specific thing that even the logic of like, well, we know that elevated blood sugar, you know, can create AGEs and we know it, you know, with mitochondrial dysfunction and there's the most mitochondria in the ovaries. And that's actually something I learned from Dave Asprey that we have more mitochondria in our ovaries, like per, you know, mitochondrial density than like anywhere else in the body. Like that's really important. And Mm -hmm, And it's important that we keep those mitochondria healthy. So 
And the insulin receptors in the ovaries. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's a big part of PCOS in a lot of cases. And yeah, so, so blood sugar is huge. Um, and I think we are moving more and more into like the toxins are being talked about now. And I do think blood sugar is, is, you know, especially with a company like Levels and I know there's a few others, the awareness is there. And it's that I think these conventional docs aren't, you know, they would have to basically become a functional medicine practitioner in order to kind of be able to know and address and test, not maybe not test, but I think we're moving in that direction. But I think right now it's like a beautiful, there's a beautiful balance of like, we have like this natural holistic functional fertility world. And then we also have the technology when it's needed. And I am working towards bridging those a lot more. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that you're trying to do that because I think we definitely need that. And I, it makes sense that like the, the average MD isn't going to go and become a functional medicine doctor overnight, but if they can just find someone to partner with, and I think that's why I was so frustrated that this doctor was just like, IVF is your only option. It's the only way you're going to get pregnant. But at the same time, they couldn't tell me why I couldn't get pregnant. I was like, if you told me like there was an anatomical something wrong, this is why IVF is your only option. I would have maybe believed that more. But like totally. you look at Chinese medicine and they say there is no such thing as unexplained infertility. That doesn't exist in our world of medicine, right? There's an yeah. imbalance somewhere in the body. And so That's I was just crazy. frustrated that they wouldn't even admit that there was something. So hopefully we'll see that. So thank you for doing all that you're doing. Yeah. Well, and one of the things, so like research and data is a, is a huge part of our company. And the reason we partnered with True Diagnostic was because they are tracking 900,000 loci or 900,000 points on the DNA. Whereas other companies are are tracking maybe 2,000, maybe 100,000 at the most. Now, we don't need all those points to give you your results. But when I partner with a company, maybe like a Kind Body or, or another reproductive endocrinology office, and we get some outcome data and we get some other lab values at the same time, then I can we can go back and, and do a couple of things. We can see, because we know there are certain loci that are associated with diabetes, prediabetes, insulin resistance. We know... Basically, we have we have this whole bank of knowledge that then we can go and publish papers about how the methylation at the different loci change and what those outcomes are. So we can actually, what we're working towards really is actually creating what we call a fertility predictability algorithm. So you can take mm-hmm. a finger stick at home, a drop of blood, and be able to say you have a 73% chance of getting four or more viable embryos if you do IVF right now. Now we have to do the couple together, obviously. And we only need a few hundred samples with outcome data. So my vision in the next few months is that we do partner with a, with a clinic and everybody does our test and we do all the conventional hormone tests and all of that. And then we see, did they get 20 eggs, three embryos, one viable embryo, healthy pregnancy, miscarriage, what happened? And then we can actually go back in and look at those 900,000 points for those you know couple hundred couples, see which of those loci are significant at which methylation values for predicting those specific outcomes. And then that's industry changing. Wow. Yeah. Industry changing for sure. (laughs) That's That's amazing. (gasps) Oh, (laughs) all right. Well, I have some work to do. I think my goal is to maybe, maybe I'll retest on my birthday. Maybe my goal will be to be 36 when I turn 36. I love yeah, that. What would idea. you say is a good timeline if you were going to really get serious and enact these changes in the fast framework? When should we retest? I recommend three months. Okay. okay. So, so do like a three month, I kind of call it like a sprint, like, like full in focus, you know, put your plan together for yourself, 
follow the plan for yourself and then retest it three months. We can see changes as early as two months. So if you're like impatient and you're like, I just want to like get it done, you can do two months. I wouldn't do any sooner than that. And I recommend testing, you know, one to two times a year for like maintenance, just because like when I, like what I actually found the mold because my age had accelerated so much. And I'm like, something is going on. And there was a leak and I, you know, had them come in and they ripped out the floor and then I couldn't breathe. And I was like, and and so then I like did my mycotoxin test. So, um, wow. You weren't symptomatic in any other way. I mean, I had like some brain fog, but I'm like, eh, I'm like working really hard and I'm drinking a lot of coffee and like, eh. you know, I didn't like, yeah, it could be a yeah. lot of things. Yeah. I don't Easy to my... rationalize away. Yeah. And I don't look at myself the same way I'm looking at a patient. Like, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. We, none of us do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah. sometimes we can catch these things. And especially if somebody wants to have babies in like two or three years, you know, if, if you're not checking it, you know, once a year, you know, your first one could be fine. And then, you know, stress happens, a pandemic happens, a death happens, like something happens that shifts your trajectory. And then when you do get there and it's time and you haven't tested in three years and now you test and now you're older, it's like, oh man, now I have to like take another three to six months to -hmm. improve all my numbers to, you know, to have the healthiest baby possible or to be able to conceive easier or easily. And so I, so I say test early, test often. Um, and as biohackers, right. that's kind of like easy and, you know, to implement for like the general population. It's a little like, uh, but we're getting there. We're yeah. getting, we're there. always like, which finger is going to be pricked today? How many band-aids are going to wear? <laughs> no yeah, problem. You don't have to twist my arm <laughs> to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, if we could get all, you know, all women to do this on a regular basis, that would be so incredible. Yeah. Yeah. We're really excited to share this with our community. Hopefully we'll reach lots of women. Yeah. Thank you ladies. Thank you so much. Yeah. So to wrap things up, we want to just ask one final question. If you can give our audience uh, one piece of advice, something they could start doing today could be to optimize fertility, could be just optimizing health, any direction you want to go. I would say, and this answer has never come out of my mouth before in this way, but what's coming through in this moment is take five minutes and give yourself an emotional inventory today and then address whatever need, like give yourself the space to, to hold or to work through whatever is at the top of that inventory for yourself. Beautiful. I love that. <laughs> yes. I will definitely do that. Amazing. Right. Thank you. Dr. Z, advice. can you tell our audience where they can find more of you and how to do this clockwise test? Yes. So clockwise.com clockwise with a Z cause I'm Dr. Z. We're at clockwise fertility on Instagram. I'm at Dr. Zagoni. Z-A-G-O-N-E, D-R-Z-A-G-O-N-E on Instagram. And those are the best ways to communicate. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Thank you both. And thank you for everything that you're doing to to share the knowledge and the biohacking and the women. And just thank you ladies for everything that you do. Thank Thank you for saying that. Thanks for being a part of our journey too. (laughs) My pleasure. And thanks to everyone that tuned in today. We will see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.